I've got 150 Gaidas tries that are going to be thrown in the trash. Welcome to Clocker Counter. This is James Wiseman and with me is Ryan Young. So Ryan, I think today we're going to do our old game, overrated, underrated, and properly rated. It may have been our first podcast, but it's been about a year. So we're going to do another round of it. But first, let's get a few updates. So how was your Thanksgiving? It was good. This was interesting because I did a bunch of things that I didn't expect all last minute because my plans fell through. Really? What happened? Yeah. So I was originally going to go to Hawaii for because it's just like an easy trip and get like the free holidays. But my friend bailed on me last minute. So I just like had to figure things out. It was like one of the first times I didn't have a place to go for Thanksgiving because my mom was in Hawaii. And so there was no family here even. That's so sad. You should have come to... I was in Virginia, but you could have come to Virginia with us. <laughs> I actually, I found a, a Thanksgiving place. Okay. It was like, uh, one of my old managers from Amazon does like a Thanksgiving for all the orphans that don't, don't have a place to go. So I invited myself over and it was great. Awesome. Well, we had a pretty great Thanksgiving in Virginia Beach. The only side story is we had some minor flooding events at our house which were related to a problem with this well filter. Long story short, no damage, but I'm a little tired because last night at 2 a.m., we get alarms blaring in my house and I wake up and before I realize that it's the water sensor going off in our little flood prone area because we were (laughs) having some additional problems, I just wake up to the alarm going off. I check my phone and it says like alarm instigated i hit the button and it takes me immediately to the camera that's outside my house and i'm having a low key okay it's time to defend my home situation and (laughs) margaret wakes up and i was kind of just playing it cool like oh it's just an alarm i'll go take care of it and i was like actually getting into primal human mode ready to go (laughs) and then i realized oh it must be the water alarm but that did mean that at 2 a.m last night Margaret and I were in my crawl space, basically bailing water. It wasn't that bad, but we 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 had to fix a few minor plumbing issues. But wow. luckily, we, been- <laughs> we had that water sensor alarm because otherwise there might have been more issues. It probably paid for itself right then. Yeah, now we're yeah. going to get a whole smart automatic water shut off so that I can detect leaks. We have this little well filter that's sort of failing it's not ideal so we're gonna get some better a better setup in the future at least that happened when you were home and not in virginia (laughs) here's the thing it actually happened when i was leaving to go to dc for work and we actually had the most comically frustrating modern problem which is the well filters leaking everywhere and it's because there's a missing o-ring and the o-ring we have no idea what happened. Did it fall out while we were replacing the well filter? Was it never there in the first place? We don't know. But we needed this exact size filter. And it's just an O-ring. It's like a 30 cent piece. And we went to Home Depot. We couldn't find it there. I couldn't figure out like how quickly I could get one. I thought, this is so crazy that we're just not going to have water until we can find the right sized O-ring. This critical failure point in my house <laughs> is one piece of cheap black plastic. But we got a close enough 
o-ring to stop the flooding and i honestly i just had a plumber come out and i got a quote to literally just bypass the filter I'm like just take the pipes move it around <laughs> this trouble area and we'll <laughs> no. figure out the rest later but it was it's just so funny to realize you could have a failure point that's just one tiny piece of plastic for your whole house but then Damn. that meant though the whole time we were in virginia i was super stressed about the water situation but we had turned off <laughs> every source of water to the house that we could to make sure it wouldn't happen. But I never had a home invasion scare before. Have you? No, <laughs> I know. I know it's a lot of people's deepest, darkest fear. And it was kind of, one of those things. Like, have you ever been on a plane that's in a really bad situation and you kind of get to realize, okay, like this is how I feel at a moment where <laughs> at least emotionally it feels like my life is at risk and how am I reacting to it? I was like, okay, it's interesting. I responded, I thought, pretty well to thinking that people were outside my house for a second. (laughs) Okay, so I have one other update that I think is going to relate to the update you have, which is that I am now, thanks to you, or at least thanks to your influence, the proud owner of two bicycles. The bicycles are pretty sweet, but I'm a little worried how fast they are. It's I like will not be able to keep up with you. I know that. <laughs> I've accepted that. The So like when it's all three of us riding around, it's going to be amazing. But when it's just two of us like grinding out 50 miles, I think you're going to be struggling. That's fine. <laughs> I, don't, I think you're going to be struggling because you're going to have to go slower than you would like to. <laughs> and I'll be just fine. The one thing that was nice. So I, the bike company I got it from, they sent it to a bike store that put it together and I went to go pick it up. And this bike store was in the middle of nowhere. And I had other options, but they were the bike store that had the best reviews. So I sent it to this random place and it was a cool place. Cause I mean, I drove and did not see a single other car for 30 or 40 minutes. And then I get to this little like outpost that has a bike shop, a couple of really cool restaurants and a butcher shop. And I got some amazing food at this general store. It's called the general store. You know, you're in the middle of nowhere, but the bike shop was really cool. And what made me feel great is that after they put my bike together and I, you know, gave, I'd already paid for it, got the confirmation, everything. So the transaction is done, but the bike shop guy can't stop talking about this bike. He's like, this bike is so cool. Like check this thing out. And like, here's how this works. (laughs) And I was like, I'm fired up that you're fired up. That makes me feel better about my purchase. And yeah, so I took it home. I didn't have any time to ride it really because I got home and had to deal with some other stuff. But I did do a little loop around the neighborhood and Margaret rode her bike for a little bit, but we're going to try to ride them tomorrow. But it's a little bit sad because I think it's a purchase that is basically dependent on when you're here. Otherwise, I don't really have a lot of use for it. We also got it because we had a hot dog rally with a bunch of friends where... (laughs) They rode around to 11 different hot dog places and they all were riding their bikes to go everywhere. And we didn't have any bikes to do that. So we just rode in our car a couple stops. But we figured out very quickly that the whole point of the rally was to ride your bike with your friends. <laughs> so after feeling very left out, I was like, okay, like Ryan wants me to bike. My friends are biking. I got to get a bike. So I'm happy to finally have one again. I mean, I had a bike in New York, but it's like my first. Like, adult bike yeah like real <laughs> bike it wasn't super expensive relative to bikes but it's you know it's fun yeah like one thing that's cool about 
belt drive bikes is you have to take the frame apart to put the belt on because the like a chain you can open and close it Mm -hmm. the belt is just a loop and it has to go through the frame has to go through the opening of the belt and so you have to build the frame specifically to open so the belt can like go in through it just that's why belt drive bikes cost more well i also assume that's why i'm gonna need a bike shop to fix it if it ever breaks (laughs) That is true. I don't have any tools to service your bike now. The good news, though, is when I was at the bike shop, I was like, you know, this is a really cool place, but how do you guys survive out here? I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere. And they said, ah, like, we're actually thinking about moving. I said, where are you moving to? And they said, Hillsboro. And I was like, <laughs> let's go. So they're going to be moving <laughs> to our neck of the woods soon, which is good news for both of us, because I think that'll be your go to bike shop once they get to our neck of the woods. Yep. The thing is, it's like a bike shop. I go only go there when I mess up and I'm messing up less and less as I get better at bikes. So yeah. I like need the bike shop less and less. Well, you're going to have to learn how to take apart and put my bike back <laughs> together. That can be a group project of ours. <laughs> okay. And I think you have a bike update too. Yep. Okay. So I got a new bike and uh, my old bike, I took it to a place that fits the bike to you and bike fit is very important because you're on it for like four to ten hours a day yeah and so being comfortable on the bike is like everything and the problem is bike fits cost between 400 and 600 dollars every time you go and i was like well my current or my new bike already fits pretty well because i already know what it should feel like so i'm i don't want to pay that again so I looked up online and there are AIs that will do bike fits. You take a picture or you take a video with your phone riding just stationary indoors and you upload it to the site and then it like draws your skeleton as an overlay over the top of you and it like gives you all the angles of all your joints and you're like, here's all the acceptable ranges and it sounds like imprecise, but you do it over and over again. And so I like, I did it one time and everything was kind of like in range, but Mm -hmm. I was like, I think my seat can go up a little bit. So I move it up one centimeter and I retake the video and it's like, your saddle is too high. Lower it by five millimeters. Wow. So I lower it by five millimeters and it just comes exactly within the upper range that my saddle can be. I'm like, wow, it's very precise, like to the millimeter. That's incredible. What, what's your general fear meter right now with the advances in artificial intelligence well i'm it can't do my job for a long time but it's i don't know well i'm moving out of the workforce (laughs) i mean (laughs) you mean like for other people for society for society (laughs) i'm not worried about the job part yet which honestly i think it'll be able to do my job in a few years i don't know it's moving so fast it's hard to imagine it's hard to put a limit on what it can or can't do and how okay. quickly, but like, here's my, okay. what's my general fear. Okay. Here's my take is you shouldn't be that worried because we're building it in the worst possible timeline. It's kind of like the algorithm that runs Facebook and all these social media. It's like this correlation algorithm that, uh, it figures out what you like and then feeds you a ton of it until you're like, never satisfied Mm -hmm. we're gonna build the ai that does that but none of the useful parts and so (laughs) like our productivity won't go up that much because it's being nerfed by so is the analogy something like instead of building an ai that ultimately destroys the world they're going to be too busy building an ai that does something completely useless and soul-sucking and so we don't need to be afraid of it 
pretty much. <laughs> like they're just going to use it to sell us more Amazon exactly. products and, and not, <laughs> you know, eliminate humanity or something like that. Yeah. I think the one thing people don't realize is running the machines are really expensive. Yeah. Like $10,000 an hour type expensive. So it's not like anybody can just make their own AI and take over the world. Well, I've thought about this a lot. And I think I've talked about this with you at least once before. But I always think about how we're so lucky that up until now, the things that have world altering destructive force are so complex and expensive to make that there's a very hard limit and ability to control it to some degree. So it's not easy to make nuclear weapons. It's not easy to make (laughs) an AI. I'm a little worried that it'll eventually become easy to make an AI, but I guess you'll always have incredible computer costs. But who knows? I just, I can't even wrap my head around how it works. But imagine a world where that weren't true, where like it's relatively easy to make a nuclear weapon. And like once one person figures it out, a bunch of other people could figure out that would be a much darker timeline to put it in the phrase you <laughs> yeah. put. And so far we've been lucky that there's only a handful of companies and countries in the world that could do this. And I generally feel safe just based on the nuclear experience that only large enough and relatively stable enough actors will have access to this technology. Because really, you just have to worry about a very rogue group having control of something incredibly powerful and doing something really destructive (laughs) with it. There's probably at least one country that I can think of that might do something very alarming. (laughs) And But then I think you also have to wonder if there would be enough good actors that there would be defensive AI protecting against more scary AI, if that makes sense. Yeah. Hopefully there is some government program doing that right now. I would, yeah, I was thinking about this. So I would love to think that there are really smart people out there that are making sure this is all happening appropriately. But the more I go through my life and the more I see (laughs) just like the back end of how things happen in the world, I think nobody knows what they're doing. And it's, it's all, like every time you, yeah. yeah, it's all guesswork and we're <laughs> lucky it hasn't fallen apart yet. You're like watching Chernobyl. It's like, that was like 40 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Chernobyl yeah. is actually a great example, but at the end of the day, you just have a bunch of people just doing stuff and yeah. like, that's it. I mean, it's just people doing stuff and you never know what's going to happen. I, I have been flow. There are times where I'm deeply concerned about what the future looks like. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So right. time for the actual freestyle portion podcast, which I worry is getting smaller and smaller, but you know, nobody listens to this anyway. So we might as well do what we want. We're just, this is like the holdover. I can't even think of it. It's like the season three of the good place. It's the, we're just trying to get to the season four so we can get to the good part. Okay. Okay. Yes. I buy it. All right. And then eventually one of us will have more time and we can actually plan out some more content. But I feel like <laughs> somehow it's always Sunday nights right before the podcast is due. And here we are scrambling, which is mostly on me, but we're both just so busy. It's just hard to make time for this. Okay. Overrated, underrated, or properly related. I will start out with a Thanksgiving theme topic. So overly overrated, underrated, properly rated turkey properly rated at thanksgiving but yeah say more i would say 
the other 364 days overrated. It's like there is this variety pack of beef jerky at work that you can eat for free. Mm-hmm. And three of them, no, like two of the variations are normal beef and one is turkey. And the turkey packets are all that's left after the first two days. And like, that's all you need to know about turkey products. Yeah. So I heard, I, I hate turkey. I mean, hate's a strong word. Like it's, it's not hard to eat. I can't imagine reacting with disgust to eating turkey, but I find turkey to be the blandest, most boring meal. I just covered in salt and hope for the best. And I don't know <laughs> if anyone actually really likes it or it's just this thing that we, cause it's traditional. And I do think you point out something important, which is that nobody seems to eat Turkey outside of Thanksgiving. I guess some people like Turkey sandwiches for instance, but then I think you're really in it for the condiments and the turkeys <laughs> just a protein. Now I heard a story once and I tried to briefly fact check this with ChatGPT right before this podcast and ChatGPT did not know what I was talking about. So this may be a made up story, but I heard a long time ago and I feel like I learned this in college in like an econ class that the world health organization was trying to figure out a way to deal with world poverty, which I, you know, think a lot of people are trying to do and figured out that Turkey was among, if not the most efficient protein source, meaning it needed very little input to produce a lot of meat. So they're like, okay, this is an ideal food product to spread throughout the world to feed people. And so they introduced Turkey to all these populations that hadn't had it before. And these populations were basically like, no, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) We'll starve. (laughs) We're we're good. Keep your turkeys. (laughs) So again, I don't know if that's actually true. I tried to fact check it really quickly and I didn't see anything. If anyone has the time and willingness, I would have heard this around 2009 or 2010. So look for something that happened before then. But I, it, I, it was the first time in my life I was like, oh, okay, actually, it, I, it makes sense. Turkey's just not very good. It's super dry and just not an interesting bird. So um, mm. I'm anti-turkey, but I get that for Thanksgiving, there's a certain tradition and nostalgia value to it, and I don't have any problem with that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay, am I next? Yep. All right. Overrated, underrated, or properly rated? AI for freestyle. Hmm. So you probably mentioned this because I was joking that we should just put in every single podcast into ChatGPT and ask it to come up with more content for us. But I would say it's, I don't know how to describe it. I don't know if anyone's rating it, but I would say it's overrated because it just doesn't have any information about freestyle. So it's not that helpful. Like it doesn't have, you know, it's the whole point of it is that it knows everything but not surprisingly, <laughs> it hasn't gotten around to learning much about freestyle. So in 2023, overrated, but maybe in 10 years. Of me. I mean, let's see. It's funny. Like I remember, I think like a lot of people and judge me all you want. But of course, when ChatGPT first came out, I asked it a million questions about freestyle. Like, what is it? Like, who are the <laughs> most recent world champions? Like, who are the best players? Like, what are the best moves? And at that time, it would basically hallucinate every answer, but it would say like real people's names. It would say like me or you or Larry or Joey or Skippy or Pavel. It had random freestylers names. I don't know (laughs) where they got them, but it it wouldn't know who won when you'd ask it like, who are the 2023 world champions? And it would make up, 
it would say like nine freestylers, but they would not be the freestylers that won that particular <laughs> year. And then it would get all these details wrong. Like it always called Pavel like Ukrainian. But at that time, ChatGPT had only been updated through like 2021. And keep in mind for anyone who's not following the ChatGPT world, that it doesn't look it up on the internet. It was looking it up from its deep learning <laughs> module, whatever it's called. I think now it can look up the internet, but I have ChatGPT open right now. I have 4.turbo, whatever. So it's the most recent version. I will ask it, what is Freestyle Frisbee? It says, Freestyle Frisbee, also known as Freestyle Disc, is a sport and recreational activity that involves multiple players performing creative, artistic, and athletic moves with a flying desk. The activity emphasizes skill, style, and the expression of personality within the performance. That's pretty good. Here are the key aspects of freestyle frisbee, technical skills, mentions throws, catches, and disc manipulation. Skills include spinning the disc on your finger, which it calls spinning, which I like. (laughs) (laughs) Passing sequences, rapid hand exchanges, whatever that is. Talks about choreography and collaboration, artistic expression, which I like, competition, community and culture, inclusive, supportive culture, often emphasizing fun and creativity over strict competition, which actually is very right and kind of shocking Mm -hmm. that I got it. But now I want to ask it, how is it judged in competition? (laughs) We could do a whole episode just talking to ChatGPT. The judges focus on three main criteria. This is incredible. Difficulty, execution, and artistic impression. This is a little bit old judging system style, (laughs) but it's pretty good. Detailed breakdown. Difficulty. Talks about risk. Execution. Artistic impression. It doesn't have, for instance, variety. Okay, now the most fun. Who are the top 10 freestyle frisbee players in the world? It is at this moment, it's researching with Bing, which it's telling me it's doing, which I feel like is a little bit cheating because it's looking on the internet. (laughs) But let's see if it pulls it up. I'd be really curious if it pulls it from the rankings or ratings, which would be fascinating. Wow. Okay. This is actually so much better than the last (laughs) time I did it. Okay. As of 2023, and okay, obviously I'm saying this because it lists me number one, but (laughs) as of 2023, some of the top freestyle frizzy players as indicated by their performance in various championships. James Wiseman won three divisions at the 2023 FEA World Championship in pairs, mixed, and co-op. Incredible. (laughs) Daniel O'Neill partnered with James Wiseman, winning in the pairs category (laughs) at the FEA World Championship. Katie Gemma, Angela. So the first four are straight from Worlds, which is pretty cool. Ilka, I guess these are... These are all from Worlds, except once we get to eight. Ilka, Ryan, William Ho, incredible, (laughs) number seven. It says, also part of the winning open co-op team at FEA Worlds. Here's an interesting one, number eight, Mateusz from Poland, won in pairs and co-op at the 2023 Sandslash event. I have no idea. It sounds right. Anton from Berlin, partnered with Mateusz, won at Sandslash. Anka Radwanski won multiple events across different tournaments in 2023. That's pretty interesting. Now let me ask it, who are the best players of all time? And then in a moment, I'm going to do one more, which is I want to ask the question without it looking at Bing to just see what's inside whatever it learned. (laughs) This, This is so much more accurate than before. Because before when I did this, which was probably 
nine or 10 months ago, it was making up all the details. I wonder where it got the results from because it looks more like it got it from someone's blog. Like, I don't know if Shred Now had an article. I never saw that text. Did it like parse in the rankings table and was like, look at this correlation. So in the best of all time, it clearly just pulled the list from Skippy's Hall of Fame website because it lists the exact same 10 people. Joey, Tom, Donnie Rhodes, Dave Schiller, me, Jim Benson, Chipper Bro, Cray, Dave Lewis, and Fabio Sana. But once it stops doing this, I'm going to ask it. I wonder if I can... Okay, clear chat. So I'm going to ask, who are the best freestyle Frisbee players of all time without looking at the internet? (laughs) Okay, it says, as of my last update in April 2023, some of the most renowned freestyle Frisbee players include... And keep in mind, if you don't know about ChatGPT, this is from its own knowledge. So the good people at OpenAI did have their bot do some research into Freestyle for Z. <laughs> and so far, so good. Jens Velasquez, a legendary figure in the sport. Velasquez is renowned for his incredible athleticism and innovative techniques. He has multiple world titles to his name and is often cited as a pioneer in freestyle. So it gets that he was early and it gets that he was a world champion. Dave Lewis, known for his creative and fluid style. I don't know if I would say fluid, but he is one of the best players ever. Lewis has been a major influence in the sport. Agreed. This seems inaccurate to me. His partnership with Jens Velasquez is particularly famous <laughs> for pushing the boundaries. I think it means Arthur. <laughs> Cindy St. Mary, a prominent female player. St. Mary is known for her grace, technical skill, and competitive spirit. She's been a role model for many aspiring female athletes in the sport. It also has Larry, Tom Leitner, Arthur Coddington, and Joey Hidakalan. Now the part... Okay, a couple of details. For Tommy, it says Leitner, often known as Tommy Strong. <laughs> Arthur Coddington. This is dead on. Arthur Coddington, known for his precise and controlled play. He has numerous championship titles to his name. And this is unbelievable. Is recognized for his strategic approach to the sport. Nice. <laughs> Incredible. But this is the highlight of the whole thing. Because I don't think this is true, but it should be true. Joey Hadoklin, also known as the Frisbee Jesus, is famous <laughs> for his unique and artistic playing style. He has been a major influence on the sport, inspiring players with his creativity and flair. Now I'm going to ask him, ChatGPT, could be a her. It. I'm going to ask it. What about Ryan Young? Ryan Young is indeed another significant figure in the world of freestyle Frisbee, known for his dynamic and innovative style. Young has made notable contributions to the sport. His technical skills, especially in terms of control and creativity with the Frisbee, have earned him respect and recognition in the freestyle community. Been active in competitions, added to diversity of styles and techniques. Okay. I wish I got to ask (laughs) it about me now. It's going to be so sad when it doesn't know who I am. (laughs) Basically says the exact same thing it says about you. That's just its default response. <laughs> it's not totally the same. Like the first starts the same. Then it says competitive force, blend of athleticism, artistic expression, and precise control. Oh, this is interesting. This is what I would think it would say for you. 
Wiseman's involvement goes beyond just competing. He has been active in promoting the sport, participating in community events, and contributing to the development of freestyle frisbee techniques and teaching methods. This kind of engagement has made him a respected figure, not only for his athletic achievements, but also for his dedication to the growth and nurturing of the freestyle frisbee community. Like, that's kind of incredible. It should have said that for you, though. But yeah, like, I don't know. But like, yeah. where does it get that? Like, what? <laughs> where could it possibly say that information? Because on the one hand, you could say, sure, it's probably hallucinating some of this. Sorry, I never can say that word correct, right? But there's enough things here that are verifiable that it's got to be pulling from somewhere. I mean, how do you get that Arthur is very precise and strategic mm-hmm. or that Tom goes, I mean, Tom goes by Tommy. I'm now I sound like people who believe in psychics, but like still that's notable. <laughs> it needs to be like citations, like Wikipedia. Well, like, let me ask where, you that. <laughs> where did you get the information that my involvement doesn't know this me goes beyond just competing Wait, this could be really funny. <laughs> So, okay, this is kind of taking the wind out of my sails here. But it says, I must clarify that my response regarding James Wiseman's involvement in freestyle for zoo beyond competition was based on general patterns observed in prominent athletes in various sports, including freestyle frisbee. <laughs> it was not based on specific up-to-date information about James Wiseman's personal contributions to the sport. This is an assumption on my part, given the common trend of top athletes in niche sports often engaging in activities beyond competition such as community That's, development, coaching and promotional mm-hmm. efforts, which is true. But like, why wouldn't you just say that about everybody that I asked about? It's so interesting. Anyways. So now I'm going to say it's underrated chat GPT. <laughs> oh, like it over, it overperforms your yeah, expectations. It did perform better yeah. than I thought, but I guess the better question would be, what could you use it for now? That would be helpful. I want it to take a video of me and tell me what to do better like my bike fit ai i don't think it's that far away from doing that honestly because you, you could probably do at some point you might even be able to do something like this now you can definitely put in images now you could basically give it every video of freestyle frisbee tell it i don't even know if you'd need to but like at a minimum or maybe at a maximum whatever the right <laughs> version of this is you would tell it these are the best players and you want people to play more like that. And then you put in videos of yourself and say, what am I doing wrong? And I wouldn't surprise me if you could analyze that very well. I think that's possible, but costly. And uh, the cost is part of the equation. So we're maybe, not there yet. Maybe, but I don't think it's going to be prohibitive for me and you <laughs> to pay for that. <laughs> possible. I mean, we're operating at such low scale. It might be like... $10,000. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, there's another avenue though. ChatGPT could be very useful, which is taking up a lot of the work of the admin side of this. So for instance, I use it all the time for the rankings because it can pull data from people's poorly written result sheets and convert <laughs> it into the right format to put it into the ranking system. Now, I actually think one thing I'm going to do eventually is I'm going to train a GPT, which I've been experimenting with. And I'm going to put in the names of every player into it and say, learn these names so that when I give it, you know, someone's handwritten garbage with the results with people's like first names, it will know it'll be able to guess as well as I can guess 
what the right players are and to create the results to fit straight into the judging system. Mm-hmm. I think you could once, do that perfectly. Yeah. And I think once it could I, do that right yeah. now. Yeah. But once I retire, I'm going to make the self-service portal. So you won't even have to look at results. You'll just like verify that what they entered is correct and then add it. Yeah. But I think also like, I remember a long time ago I wrote there was, I think there was one before I did it, but I wrote a new version of the freestyle Wikipedia page, which by the way, is such a dated thing to say, but it seemed important at the time to <laughs> write a proper freestyle for Z Wikipedia page. And it hasn't been updated since then, but as far as I know, I'm sure someone's changed a few things, but like having ChatGPT basically taking all the content that's out there now, put it into a new GPT that you train train and say, okay, like write the content for every page on a new FBA website, write me written tutorials of how to do all these moves. And it could probably spit out a pretty close result that you could just tinker with and very quickly populate a lot of web content for the sport. Yeah, that does sound cool. One day too, going back to your training it to help you become a better player. A version that probably isn't $10,000 is every time I want to make a tutorial, I film a video of me or someone else doing a move, put it in a chat GPT and say, describe how to do this as if you were teaching somebody. And I guarantee you it could write a far better tutorial than you or I could come up with. Hmm. I'd have to think about that. I haven't seen it do any decomposition like that before. Fair, fair, fair. Yeah. The closest I've seen is people who are post images of illusions and then the AI will be like, here's the illusion that is happening in the picture. Fair. I don't know about ChatGPT's video processing functions yet. I just assume that'll be there in the future based on what it can do with images now. But I mean more like assuming it could process the video input, I think it would write a better tutorial than you or I could because it's seen every tutorial ever written or ever spoken. <laughs> and this is a part of ChatGPT that I don't think people understand. And it frustrates me to know in that people don't understand it when they think like, why could, Ch- why do you think ChatGPT could write this thing better than me? I'm like, because it's written every single, th- it's read every single thing that's ever been written like that, memorized it, found every pattern and what made it good or bad. And is spitting back to you, the perfect result for it. Like now it doesn't write that well yet. And I heard something interesting recently, which is it's really good at taking C students and making them B plus students, but it's really bad at making a students become a plus students. And I mean that in the literal academic sense, I think that's temporary. I think eventually it'll improve everybody (laughs) across the board because it's just getting better and better, but it can do something that humans can't, which is it can hold the entirety of human knowledge in its head and spit out incredible versions of things that you just have to tinker with. But like one of my biggest use cases for it now is when I have some grammar or spelling, not spelling, spellings, Google can do that. Like if there's some kind of like, there's five different ways to do this phrase, sentence, grammatical combination that are all valid. What's the most common? And I'll just ask it that. And it's read every single time that phrase has ever (laughs) appeared. And it will tell me what people do the most often. And I find that to be really useful. But otherwise, it's still not really good at the kinds of things I need it to be good at. Yeah. 
Well, it's still the beginning. Still the beginning. And yes, I'm absolutely terrified about what it means <laughs> for the future, but I don't think it's a good reason for me to ignore it. <laughs> so I'm trying to embrace it. Okay. That was a diet. That was a diversion, <laughs> but kind of an interesting one. I kind of wish it was as bad as it was at the beginning because I thought it was more entertaining when it was like Pavel Baranek, <laughs> like the greatest Ukrainian freestyler in history. It was like very, very interesting. Okay. So I'm up next. Overrated, underrated, or properly rated. I don't think we've done any of these before. Osis type moves. Hmm. I think they are underrated. Okay. So it's going to be like in snowboarding. So we're in the early days of our sport. I don't know. This is my opinion, but we haven't really pushed the boundaries yet. And at some point it's going to be like snowboarding where everything has to be tweaked out and like all their, even their hardest tricks, they're taking off switch, which is the opposite way. And freestyle should eventually be there where like everything is osis. Like if you catch the normal way of a catch, you're like, well, you're just you're playing not to lose at that point. That's interesting. I was going to put it as overrated, but I had a very similar frame of thinking, which was kind of what could it be and what is it now? And <laughs> what do I do with that information? So what it is now I think is highly overrated, which is most mm. people do OSIS in a way that is barely an OSIS. It's just, it's conceptually <laughs> an OSIS because they're spinning the wrong way but they don't achieve the same goal. So I think in theory, if you do a flamingosis, if you took a picture at the end, it should look like a flamingo because that's ultimately <laughs> what you're doing. But almost nobody looks that way. They, you can tell by the picture that they're doing a flamingosis <laughs> because their flamingo looks terrible. Yeah. But I like what you said, which is I do think Osis has a ton of potential in that it could be incredibly cool but the only reason I had pushed back on it is, and this is kind of a funny thing for me of all people to say, but OSIS is cooler in general, I think, because we recognize that it's more difficult, but it doesn't make it more appealing. So it's a kind of an example of it's harder, but not better. And so to me, that means maybe it should be considered overrated. I see. I do, I kind of agree that it is it's like more advanced in a very freestyle like way, like pulling it against instead of with the spin. Yeah. It's like only a freestyler knows that it's the opposite going yeah. on. But like the mat, when he like does the spinning Osis BTP pull, like that looks very different. I think that does get all the credit. So I was about to bring that up. I think Bosis is the best Osis move. It's the highest. <laughs> I don't know what you call it. That's the highest differential between the base move. I think a spinning behind the back is not that cool, but a spinning Bosis is very cool. Mm -hmm. But counterpoint, I love that Matt Gothier pull. It's a big part of my game. You know who doesn't love that pull? <laughs> Doug Simon. <laughs> Hates that pull. Makes fun of me every time I do it. No matter how good or bad it is, Like if I, I can execute it perfectly, and he's just like, eh, it's so lame. Doesn't like it. <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> yeah, another random question about Osis. I feel like if you distilled freestyle into some kind of math problem, there's the thesis paradox, 
which is it seems like basically everything can become an osis except for scarecrow and is it because we haven't figured it out yet it's just a hard math problem or like there's something wrong why can we boast us all these things but not bosis or not osis a scarecrow maybe scarecrow is osis so like the osis scarecrow is just normal <laughs> i don't know it's like one of those like it's already backwards so then when you osis it it like becomes forward but isn't it weird to think that all you're doing is changing the spin direction <laughs> and it seems like you're just adding a negative sign to whatever the math problem is and it works every time I mean, flawed osis is kind of a weird one too, but I do it sometimes and think it's cool. But thesis is not cool. I've never seen a thesis <laughs> that I liked, but maybe it's just because we haven't explored it. It's probably because of the hand position. Maybe it's just like the geometry of it makes it impossible to catch osis because it would just hit the back of your wrist on top if you're actually tried to catch it. True thesis the only thing i can imagine that would make it work which in my mind looks very cool is especially if you imagine the old school scarecrow style where you have both arms out and if you imagine like other osis catches that your final hand position should be the same if it was a super trailing edge catch yeah I was thinking if the disc is moving faster than you're spinning, that it could catch up to your hand and get into your fingers that way. Yeah. We'll have to explore that. (laughs) Okay. I should say I love Osis, but I was putting my Ryan brain on and I was like, it's kind of overrated. It's very rarely (laughs) successful. Anyways, I think you're up. Okay. Overrated, underrated, or properly rated? Barrel variations. Still underrated. Underrated. It's, we've been kind of in a lull on our barrel variations because we've been working on other things. I mean, I primarily been working on my weak side spins, so I haven't been doing them very much. But the other day I kind of had that moment. I was like, you know, I haven't done those in a while. And I went for a double barrel chair and I was like, that's cool. That feels super (laughs) cool. So I still think they're just amazing. And I think that would also, by the way, would fit well in your category of that would become the expectation mm-hmm. in the future. I agree. They're underrated because they're so much more dynamic when you're taking. It's like you have to turn and jump with the same foot. It's just so much is going on. I still think they're or another s- twist to it would be, you know how there's kind of a difference between static standing moves and flying athletic moves like that's a dichotomy you could make i think even though athletic dynamic moves are much more exciting there is a certain artistry and precision to the standing static moves and i can imagine it being a very conscious choice to be like okay the default is i go for a double barrel chair here but it would be an artistic statement to go for a very smooth flowy in control non-barrel chair but I don't know. It's interesting. Chair is another move, by the way, that I think, what was the term we came up with? High flex and low flex. I can't remember which one it is. I feel like, I don't know if I'm using our own terminology, right? But I think it's low flex in the sense that a lot of people can catch a double chair, but it's very hard to make it look good. I see. Okay. Under that 
I don't know. I think if you double chair and just fall over, looks good. It's one of those moves. I don't know, because there are times where, well, I should say one from my experience, there was a long time where I didn't share very much, even with spinning chairs, because I just thought they looked really bad. And now when I do spinning chairs, I actually really like them. And apologies if you don't like how I do it. And then I watch Will do it. And there are times where he does double chair in a way that I think looks really good. And there are other times where I think, okay, he hit the double chair. I can't really tell you what was wrong with it, (laughs) but it didn't look right. And I do think an element of it is control. And in fairness, that's kind of the thing that I kind of talk about somewhat regularly, which is the difference between knowing a move and knowing a move or executing (laughs) it in a way that looks very professional or demonstrates mastery, I think is the term we've been using. And I think another way to think about this low flex, high flex working definition we have is a low flex move requires a great deal of mastery to look good. Whereas a high flex move generally looks very good regardless of your mastery. I see. Okay. Here I'm going to have one counterpoint. Okay. I think double chair is low flex when you're late. Like when you're late, you're rushing at the end and you're just trying to get around and cut the corner off the spin so you can get the disc. But when you're early, it is easy to make it look good. It's easy to make slowing down into the catch look good because you're like upright and you have to like bring your whole upper body down for the chair. You can just slow that process down and it looks smooth it's like it's not like double barrel you can't slow that down like you'd have to stutter step it which means it's low flex but cherry just like slow down the bend over and then you have tons of time and there's a big window to make it that makes sense to me i mentioned this before i think but i don't know if i've ever really dug into it enough but that's sort of in the category of what i call tempo which is having the right timing slash speed on your moves so setting it and knowing that you're going to double at the exact rate so that you catch it at the you know right time mm-hmm. and you're not rushing to get into it you're not slowing down too much to get into it you're flowing into it and then i think critically especially with chair flowing out of it so i think one element of mastery that's often late for people late's a tough word because it's gonna mix up two thoughts but one thing that people that tends to take longer to master is the follow-through of moves so they learn how to catch the move do the move get into the move but it takes a lot longer to learn how to gracefully exit the move and i think chair is in that category i agree because you don't have a your feet are like an awkward position to stop your momentum so you have to be on balance before yeah the catch Anyways, um, okay, I think I'm up trying to pick a good one. Okay, I'm not sure. I don't think we've done this, but you never know. Overrated, underrated, properly rated, triples. Underrated, especially in the current system because they look different enough that you're going to get the credit for the full triple and it's worth a lot of points and you're going to get a lot of points. So it's... Okay. Did I say underrated? Yeah, underrated. That I've heard, and that's mostly about competition, but really triples was meant to set up my next question, 
overrated, underrated, properly rated quadruples. Over no, overrated. Say more. Yeah, I think there is a diminishing return, and the triples are currently at the the peak or like the most efficient part of the curve, and there's diminishing returns after because the set becomes so far that you become disconnected from the disc and there are other like negative aspects like you're putting a lot more trust in the wind and you're i think if you were to like plot like doubles triples and quadruple catch percentages it would fall off like at an exponential rate but triples would still be close enough to the double that it makes it worth it so that's very competition oriented if I were answering this question and here are the parameters I'm setting up for myself, I'm assuming the catch. So I'm taking off the catch percentage aspect of it. So just assume you're catching all of these. I'm taking out the competition aspect and okay. I'm just thinking like, what is the value to me when I'm watching someone freestyle, whether they do a single, double, triple, quadruple, quintuple. And to me, I think you could measure it something like this. like. A single, thinking of kind of charting it, like you mentioned, making these numbers up at the top of my head, but this is kind of like my spur of the moment, off the cuff guesses here. A single is like 200% better than a no spin generic. (laughs) A double is 150% better than the single. So that's a big return. That's a Mm 1.5 return on single to double. Triple, big drop-off. I'm Not big drop-off. Maybe it's 60% better than the double. So that's that's good. I like <laughs> the, That's good. If you factored in the catch percentage, a lot of times it wouldn't be worth it. But if you're catching it, I'm going to say, okay, that triple was about 60% cooler than the double. I think quad is where we're around zero. Where I'm like, okay, like <laughs> I think it looked... it it feels more awkward and gratuitous and I'm losing interest, but it's still so much harder that I'm kind of balancing out and I'm, I'm maybe even already in the negative territory for me personally, but I'm at about a zero. And once you get to quintuple, you're now losing utility. It's like 20%. (laughs) It's probably a quintuple is like 60% worse than a triple to me. What if you could do five spins off a triple? Does that make it better? Off the same triple set? set. Off the triple set. I don't know. I just feel like it might be an unfair analysis because I'm used to seeing freestyle at our current level. And when people go for quads and quintuples, myself included, it starts to go into the uncanny valley where it's maybe not the right <laughs> analogy here, but there's just something seems to be a little garish and distorted and grotesque about it (laughs) and i don't know if that's innate to the extra spins or not now i know and i don't want to speak for him but i feel like i've heard joey express a certain disdain for overly repeating something whether it spins or even like rolls i think in joey's mind if you roll it more than three times (laughs) it's stop (laughs) again I i don't want to speak for him but I think there is a certain logic to that. And I think what he might say, especially in the role context is, okay, I've already seen you do that. I don't need to see it again. Now spends are kind of different because it's off of one set and it is, and 
extra thing, an extra skill to get that extra spit in there. But I started, I'm just like, what's the point? This kind of almost goes back to the point we were discussing earlier where, okay, that's harder, but it's not better to me anymore. And that's just me. So I could be wrong. I see. I did have a secret plan. If I ever needed to beat you in the current judging system, I was going to do the five spin off the triple set. I think it's possible. Can you do it though? I tried practicing it a little bit. It would take me probably six months to like catch the first one, but I think I could do five spins off of the triple set. I find that quads are a day by day thing for me. It's very rare that I even ever try to do quads, but every now and then I'll try to catch out with quads, which we did recently with Will. And I didn't have much luck. We didn't have a lot of win, but I think I caught like one quad and several tries. But I don't know, like one time I made at our beach weekend we did during the pandemic, I made my quad quintuple video. We're just like, here's me doing quads and quintuples because I don't want it ever to be held against me that I don't <laughs> really do those things because I don't do them because I don't like them. And there's parts of that that I, parts of that video that I like. And it was actually almost annoying that I got feedback from people who normally, who in their own words, normally don't like my game, but like liked that. And I was kind of like, wow, like I feel like normally the people who don't like my game would be more annoyed if I was doing quads or quintuples. (laughs) But all this to say, I guess that even when I'm looking at myself doing it, I'm just like, I don't know. What's the point? (laughs) I don't know. The point is the number's bigger. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I don't know. It's always, we talked about this, I think before, I know we talked about this in other contexts, but I don't know if I've ever put this particular spin on it. But one thing I always try to balance having a growth mindset or trying to have a growth mindset is something like I, it's okay for me not to work on things that I don't like, but I want to make sure the reason I don't like them is that I'm not good at them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you kind of have to like balance those two things. And I tend to tell people when it comes up for any number of reasons that most people are good at what they're good at because that's the part that they like. And the reason that they're not good at other things is because they're not as interested in those things. And that fits a lot with your enthusiasm theory of the world. I think that fits a lot in what I've read about learning. Um, And it bothers me that most people assume that the reason you don't do, you don't like something is that you can't do it. And I'm generally obsessed with this idea of reverse causality. Like whatever you think the cause is, it's usually going in the opposite direction that you think it is. So (laughs) you think they don't like it because they can't do it, but actually they can't do it because they don't like it. But still, when you're dealing with it yourself, you have to really look inward. Like, do I not like this because I can't do it or vice versa? Like for instance, I believe pretty confidently that I am bad at foot taps because I was never interested in it and waited until (laughs) year 14 to learn it. And actually I had a little bit of a, I don't know you call it, whatever the opposite of a Eureka moment is today, because maybe like a few months ago I had a day where the Duke guys were joking that I just figured out foot taps. I was just hitting like 10 plus foot tap combos and I was like, okay, I did it. Finally, I worked all year on this move that I don't even like, and I got it down. And then I proceeded to not do a foot tap for the next three months. And then I tried some today and they were gone. I couldn't do consecutive <laughs> foot taps anymore. 
And there's part of me that's like, oh no, I gotta bring that back into the mix. And there's another part of me that's like, no, like you learned the foot taps, you got to the point to prove to yourself that you could do it, and it's fine if you don't want to work on them anymore. <laughs> now I'm sure I'll work on them more because I'm running out of things to work on. Not because I have everything down, but now I, when I'm working on things, it's like, what can I work on that's very low energy and low stress <laughs> that I can do without putting on all my proper gear and foot taps is right in that category. I can just walk out of work, walk into the gym, not put nails on, throw the disc and do some foot taps, but don't you have to put shoes on? I might have to put shoes on. And honestly, one reason I haven't worked on foot taps enough, which is not a good reason is that they are a move that requires spin. So unfortunately you do have to throw <laughs> yourself enough spin to practice them. Like, I think the reason I'm so good at rolls is because rolls are the ultimate low energy practice. Mm-hmm. You don't need any gear. You don't need energy. Energy. You can just roll, 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 roll. I mean, laziness is a big explainer for a lot of my game. What about benign moves? Does that fall into the category? You're just not interested. Oh no, no, no! Actually, <laughs> it's funny. The opposite. I am so deep into the benign world right now. It's shameful. And again, the only reason is laziness. So one thing that keeps happening, which I feel guilty about. I'm sorry to the Duke Freestylers, but I've been doing a lot of double double dipping on the weekends, especially now that it's winter. So I can't play Frisbee in the week for the most part because of work. So Saturday, Sunday, I go hard at ultimate and then I go straight to the jam and I am exhausted when I get to the jam, which means I am doing benign moves galore because I'm too tired (laughs) to do anything else. But like today I was worried Will was going to have to step in and say something because pretty much every move it was just me messing around with benign nonsense (laughs) so i actually feel great about my benign game and i do kind of like benign but that's a product of laziness for instance like there's a hard cap on how much i can practice guidance because it's exhausting i need all my things to practice at least to practice guidance for the stage i'm at now there's not, obviously if you're at the beginning, you can just throw it up and work on your guidance. But now there's a whole setup for me to work on guidance and <laughs> it's exhausting. But one quick aside on that, and I wonder if you have an experience like this, and I can even fit this in within an overly overrated, underrated, or properly rated. So at the end of the day, when you're doing spin practice, and sometimes, a lot of times, I think you have your one move that you need to hit before you end the day, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's that move that is, you know, 60% complete. It's going to take you 10 to 15 tries to hit it at most, but you'll be able to get it eventually. I can think of one other time specifically, but I think this has happened to me five times, maybe 10, where I really wasn't sure I was going to hit my move. (laughs) And Anyone who knows me probably understands the level of stubbornness that I have, but I kept Will out in the freezing cold yesterday, practically deep into the night, trying to hit a barrel, double barrel guidance, weak side in bad wind. And (laughs) it took me at least 150,000 tries. I just... (laughs) And I've been doing, that's been my ending move for the last couple months. And for instance, today, 
second try. So most days it's between the normal zero to 15, <laughs> but there's something went wrong yesterday. And at some point, Will is like, I'm done trying to do whatever I'm working on over here. Like, let me just throw it to you so we can go home. And I almost told him, like, just leave me here. Like, I will stay here all night if I have to, to catch this stupid move. And I woke up, I was limping all day today because my right butt hurts from landing so many times trying to catch that stupid move. <laughs> have you ever had that experience? You know what I'm talking about? I will bail on it. So it's usually last catch is normally a spinning move and spinning moves have like this. I don't know. Like your proficiency goes up as you warm up. And then as you get dizzy, your proficiency goes down. And if you don't catch it before you peak, then bad news. Well, yesterday was a great example. Cause I think the first one, I basically caught it and just, it just plopped out of my hand and I was like, Oh, okay. I was <laughs> right there. I'll get the next one. <laughs> four hours later it's like i mean i did tell will at one point i was like at this point it is just rng like it was just <laughs> it's just random luck that i might catch one and i don't know what it was like it was kind of the first cold day and i feel like there's a little bit of a transition period and the wind was bad like it wasn't so bad like if the wind is bad enough i feel like i know not to try mm-hmm. my new hard move. just something was wrong yesterday and it took me forever and I also wonder if other people do this or you have to be a psychopath like me that I've seen someone else do this. which was Heath back in the day when he was learning to guide us, we would leave him. He would just be there <laughs> all night by himself, just working on the guidance until he got it. And now he's a great guidance. So I do think, I know I'm kind of random rambling now, but those days do make the biggest difference. Like I, I do. I think there's a reason <laughs> I caught it the second try today. There's, you're doing a lot of learning <laughs> if you try over and over and over again and don't get it. Yeah, I agree. I've also said okay. before, sorry, last point. <laughs> I'm the worst. I know. I know. I know that I'm like this. I understand that I'm like this. I'm sorry. I've talked before about how like when you're learning and you're building the myelin, you need that. I did it right. Trigger point to like tell your brain. <laughs> okay. So lay, you can't leave the field without lay, the trigger. Lay down the track. So that's, <laughs> that's where I'm coming from. Like I have to give my brain. So I feel like it's almost like a, here's a terrible analogy. Like if you ever played civilization and you're building a wonder, if you have like 59 of your 60 turns and you're about to finish it and then someone builds it before you, you lose everything. So I'm like, I've got 150 guidance tries that are going to be thrown in the trash unless I can hit it one time. And if I hit it the one time, my brain will be like, it's like Tetris. It just like put it, save file. Now that's none of that's that based in science. So just ignore me, but that's how I think about it. All right. All right. A couple more and we'll call it. Okay. All right. So it's my turn. Overrated, underrated, or properly rated? Competition-based meetings, so like tournaments or gatherings. Underrated. Underrated? They're, they're probably the best way to get our community together. And then when I say best way, I really mean in practice the most effective way. I, it's not my personal favorite way, but if we announced a beach weekend, we'd be happy to get 10 or 15 people to come. 
But if we announced a tournament, we'd expect far more than that. Mm -hmm. I was want to ask you then a longer segment, but like, do you think there's anything that's not competition based that would draw the same amount of people to the event? Yeah. I don't know. There's also, I think of this as the sample size one problem that we're always dealing with in freestyle that I've talked about in other contexts, which is who knows if we lived in a world where there weren't a lot of freestyle tournaments and the default was the beach weekend, would it be like, well, I wonder if we can get people to go to a tournament. <laughs> it's really easy to get them to go to beach weekend. So I don't know if, if you change the default, if there was a way to do that, you could pull it off and there might be other ways to create value in an event. I just, I don't know. I mean, I do think, you know, that our critics, I feel like are people that think we focus too much on competition, but I think we view competition as a tool to achieve a lot of things that everyone can agree that we care about. So if we all agree that meeting as a community as much as possible, then so far it seems like competition has been one of the best ways to do that. So I would love to find other methods, but competition is a very effective one. Mm -hmm. Maybe someone needs to invent a new event type and we'll go to it. We'll support it. Did we talk last time about how in my inner game of tennis slash how do basketball players get better research? I learned that one reason attributed to Steph Curry's success is he had a coach that turned all of his drills into games. No. So <laughs> tell me about it. Real quick, two cents on this. There was two things about Steph Curry's learning that was very interesting. Again, sample size one. One is that apparently there's a lot of research these days that say, and I think I'm using the right term, but sorry if I'm not, interleaving or interleavening interleaving, I don't know, is very good, which is instead of practicing a bunch of shooting, then a bunch of dribbling, then a bunch of passing to mix those things together. So like switching between skills over and over and over again, rather than focusing on one skill is really valuable. I got to say, I haven't done that very much. And I now moving forward, I'm going to do more of this interleavening business <laughs> And the reason for it, and maybe you have to do a mix of both too, but the reason for it, which is very sound to me or sounds very reasonable to me is um, one of the most important parts of a skill is your ability to call it up quickly. I see. So like a great example is if you've ever practiced putting and disc golf, you know, if you just sit there with a stack of 200 disc and you practice putting, you'll do really well. But then every time you have to, you know, pick up a disc, throw it in, pick it up again, throw it in. You won't have the same consistency because your ability to call it up isn't as developed as your ability to putt. So mm. I experience this a lot in freestyle. So for instance, leg rolls, which I've been working on a lot. If I drill leg rolls for five minutes, my consistency skyrockets and suddenly I can reg roll like 85% of the time. But if I'm jamming, it's probably more like <laughs> 10 or 20% of the time because every time I go for a leg roll, I have to call it up. I got to bring it mm -hmm. back into my brain and it's not primed for that. And I find it very appealing that, okay, well, when I practice leg rolls, instead of just doing leg roll, leg roll, leg roll, leg roll, maybe I do three leg rolls, 
work on another thing, do three more leg rolls. And then I have one other theory, <laughs> which <laughs> sorry to use myself as an example, but I view my success in freestyle like through the lens of outlier theory, like which is basically I think I was lucky and just like a lot of lucky things happened to me that made me good at freestyle. But one thing I think turned out to work out for me is learning clock and counter was probably the one thing that did force me to do a lot of interleavening. I'm, I'm not using the right word. I know I'm saying it wrong, <laughs> but like if I practice a bunch of clock rolls and then practice a bunch of counter rolls and I go back and forth, which is how I tended to do it. Maybe I'm not getting the full experience of calling up the move, but it is a totally different side and section of my brain and I'm switching back and forth between them. So I've wondered if inadvertently I was doing this to some degree and that that was helping me learn better. But overall, I'm like worried. Like I didn't do this enough. (laughs) I know. I fully agree. Like when I would practice, like I would just do the double spinning catches over and over again. But like at the end of practice, I'm like, no, I'm going to do a combination first and then catch it with the double spinning barrel that I've been just drilling all day. And I think that makes a big difference. It's like doing it over and over is not the same as like at the end of a combination, just because of what you just said for like the recalling. Recall is probably the word I was looking, not the interleaving word, but that's a good word to describe like what, what this helps you achieve. I will say, I think if you're like me and you're having a panic attack that you haven't done this, I think there's a degree to which most people who practice by themselves will do it naturally because in freestyle, especially it's so hard to work on the same thing over and over again without getting a lot of fatigue. So for me, it's pretty natural to be like, okay, here are the 10 things I'm working on. I'll probably spend five minutes on each one of them. But as soon as I'm working on something, it gets tired. I will switch to something else and then come back to it. So like that's sort of common, but generally I've avoided doing something like, okay, I'm working on this catch, but I'm going to put it in the context of a combo. I would usually just work on the catch, which I still think there's value in that. Um, but I'm going to add more of this. Well, let's just put it in the context of combos more <laughs> because that helps you build the recall. Okay. But then the other thing was the game of gamification. And I actually don't know any examples of this, but I'm assuming it's something like, okay, instead of just, working on your three point shot from every part of the court, we're going to turn this into some kind of game, which is like, you know, can you hit nine out of 10 from five different places, whatever it is, but turn it into a game triggers some important part of your brain that makes you much more likely to learn faster. I agree. That's why 10 in a row is so effective. Yeah. And I brought it up because that's another example of some people might view that as turning it into a competition of some sort and make that into some kind of negative thing. But to me, that's a very positive thing because we're hardwired to like games and (laughs) competition is basically gamifying something. Um, Okay. So let's do this as the last one then, because it's basically just a chance to talk more about this topic because I really like it, which is overrated, underrated, properly, properly rated learning. Always underrated. Say more. I'm trying to think, I think because the world, okay, the world is just so complex and it's that thing where you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And the only way to navigate that space is by learning. And so you can learn what you don't know, and then you can learn how to be better or like, yeah, it's kind of like 
you always or the book you like always talks about the dark forest and like the only way to navigate is just by experimenting and learning and if you don't learn you're just going to be in your box your whole life i agree i'm debating how philosophical i want to get here (laughs) but i guess i'll do it this way so i was listening to my movie podcast and the podcast host had a very earnest moment where he was talking about how really the thing that gives him meaning in life and his sole purpose is to consume as many great works as he possibly can. And (laughs) that's just what motivates him. And I was sort of thinking like, okay, one thing I definitely feel like I struggle with life is knowing what my purpose is. And I don't really have an answer to that question, but I do think it might be, or at least have something to do with learning as much as I possibly can with the life that I have. And I think probably like most people who have a purpose, including my movie podcast host, (laughs) I take this to an unhealthy extreme a lot of the time, but you know how a lot of times just how you feel at the end of the day kind of depends on how productive you felt. And, or maybe that's just my own. No, (laughs) I'm sure there's science to back that up. Psychopathy, but the question then becomes, well, what is it that makes you feel like you were productive? And I think about this, especially when I have like a holiday weekend like this, or it is the rare time where I have four or five days where I might not do the normal things in the course of my life. But any day where I feel like I learned something, that's what I point to when I'm asking myself that question at the end of the day, what did I achieve today? And it is a broad thing (laughs) it is i read more of my book and i'm learning about this book it might be i played spider-man 2 didn't even like it but i learned something (laughs) like i learned how to play this game and i learned about this world and i learned this story it might be whatever but something about learning just motivates me and drives me and i feel terrible truly terrible when I get through a day and feel like I didn't learn anything. I don't know. It's tough because it's really easy for that to sound, I don't know, self-righteous or something or like too much in our workism culture or our (laughs) be better, do better, everything better culture. And I'm sure to some degree that's just permeated into me growing up in our, you know, devastating meritocracy that we live in. So it's too bad if that's where it comes from. But boy, that's just, that's just how I feel. But part of why I'm interested in freestyle is I do think there is a strain of anti-learning in our sport, which I only say because I think there are people out there who think this is such a pure art form that you shouldn't practice. You shouldn't try. You should just be and flow. And I think that's creating a dichotomy where none should exist. You can be and flow but also learn. And how do you learn? A lot of different ways, but one way you learn is by practicing and we should encourage that and not discourage it. And then last footnote to that, another good way to learn is through different kinds of competition. And that doesn't just mean (laughs) tournaments, but it means making little games for yourself, finding little games in the jam and just finding ways to make it more than I'm just going to freestyle for the next 20 minutes, but 
but I'm going to set other objectives for myself. And as much as the artistic mystics in our sport are going to want to put you down for that. (laughs) Remember, this is a game and it is play. And if you just reword it, it starts to sound a lot better. So we are playing and we are playing a game and that's okay. So that's my little diatribe. I just saw something recently that was kind of anti-learning in the sport. And so it was on my mind. Any other thoughts you have? Any other thoughts you have on that? (laughs) Everyone already knows we're both tryhards. That's why we need the second podcast to be like, no, it's about feeling good at the end of the day. Yeah. No, I get it. I mean, it's hard to know. It's hard to inhabit another worldview, you know? Like it's I think you can I don't like it when people say you can't imagine something. I'm like, of course you can imagine something. I can imagine anything. (laughs) Like that's the that's the beauty and power of it. I can literally imagine anything or if i can't imagine it we can't even talk about it because (laughs) it's unimaginable but i do think and understand and i think this is what people mean when they say that that it is hard for me to imagine a world where i view someone practicing freestyle as a bad thing (laughs) maybe it's a bad thing if you you know should be saving lives or something but like in the context of freestyle i just I can't imagine it being a bad thing. And it's a shame that some people think it is. Yep. I agree. Okay. Is that it? I think that's it. All right. Take us out, buddy. I'm done. (laughs) You're done. Wow. I never do the exit. So let's see. You're learning something right now. Yep. I have to recall what you did. I don't. It's pretty easy. What's the name of the podcast? Where do they reach us? I don't even we'll know see what you the later. first, yeah, it's like email us at clockercounter.com or no clockercounter at gmail.com. Well, this is even... an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> yeah, Let's I just know. cold cut out. Done. All right. Done. Done. <laughs>